Hello, just a little pre-introduction to uh, this week's podcast. Um, Lots of you, um, I'm sure, are doing all you can to keep yourself safe and protect your mental well-being by avoiding everything to do with the current global situation. This podcast, um, we are looking at how the current global situation is affecting rugby and the likely long-term impacts of it. So we would completely understand if you want to skip it, if that's not something that you want to have to think about at the moment. However, it is an interesting discussion. Uh, We've got Alan Dimmick from Rugby World Magazine and also Nick Johnson, who uh, is an expert in sport governance, um, talking us through some of the issues, particularly um, Bill Bowman and Gus Pichot's um, standoff to become head honcho at World Rugby. So there's been a lot to cover in the news recently, so we, we thought it was worth covering and we have done so, but we appreciate that not everybody will want to think about that right now. Um, also, uh, another little warning, there is a little swear in this podcast. Um, I have done my best to try and track it down. It did happen, however, I've been able to, unable to do so, so I am marking the episode as explicit. It is a tiny little passing uh, use of the uh, S-H-I-T variety. So if you are listening in the vicinity of children, but you feel like that might just pass them by then, by all means, listen ahead, but I thought I'd stick this warning uh in, in any case. But uh, we hope you're all keeping well. We will return to the uh, warm blanket of nostalgia in the, in, in the forthcoming episodes. But for the moment, we hope you enjoy this one. Hello and welcome to the Scottish Rugby Podcast brought to you by the Scottish Rugby Blog. I am Cammy Black. Um, we've got a bit of a change of pace this week. We've, uh, we're have we going to kind of dispense with the nostalgia for one week and try and do a bit of a roundup of all the uh, recent bits of news, um, not just in Scotland but in world rugby as well, because they all kind of tie together given the ongoing uh, coronavirus uh crisis that's engulfing uh, not just sport but the wider world uh, to help me uh, kind of peer into our crystal balls and see what the future holds um, I've got Alan Dimmick from Rugby World hello I promise I promise balls good um, and we've also got Nick Johnson who uh, has a background in sports governance and regulatory things hi does that cover it? regulatory things doesn't sound very specific but yeah, I wouldn't be very specific at the moment. Okay, that's fine. Good. <laughs> um, there was a bit of news this week, which kind of leads nicely into um, starting at the... I, I kind of thought we start locally and then we can we can build up to kind of the global picture of where we are. Um, we've previously mentioned on the podcast, and it's been reported, obviously, that the season, domestic season in Scotland has been ended um, after... Um, The SRU canvassed the opinion of clubs as to what they wanted to do um, and then went with what they said was was the majority of the clubs. Clubs have since said that they they weren't under the impression that what they were doing is is kind of entering into a ballot about what to do. They were just, the the SRU was just canvassing opinion. Um, Bigger, who were promoted, I think, from National 2 to National 1, appealed the decision to end the season because effectively they were already promoted and that appeal has been rejected uh, because there is no right of appeal uh, against the decision. Um, Alan, I'm, I'm interested in your take on this. Do you think the SRU maybe went a bit early with this and could have kind of waited a little bit to see how things panned out? Well, firstly, I, I must say that because we're, we're going locally and because uh, Scottish Rugby Blogs, where I started spouting a pitch a long time ago, I can, I can say that I don't. I can be completely partial, and this this system has saved Dundee, so I'm pretty happy. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, rush. Why? What was the rush? Why? Particularly when very shortly after they made this decision, which they then flipped over and said. Oh, actually, it's uh, it was a decision made under emergency, a board decision under emergency powers. So forget, you know, forget that you have a say. Um, what was the rush? Because very shortly afterwards, we got the English system where they said, "Look, we're going to take our time to figure this out. We have a lot more leagues to deal with in England. Uh, we will try and 
there were situations where we know exactly who's going to be promoted, so they will be promoted. That's what's going to happen. There's cases where teams actually they've decided it would benefit them to get relegated anyway, struggling to get teams together, getting hammered every week. It would actually be better for them as a club to get relegated. With the smorgasbord of choices that they had, they made the ones that were immediately available to them. They said they'll take some time with other ones, and what happens with the professional leagues will be figured out as and when. Now, that seems, on the surface of things, pretty reasonable. Whereas Scotland, where there are far fewer options because there are just far fewer teams in the country. No, no, we need to get a decision in right now. What was the rush? Yeah, I think I think we've I've seen on on Twitter, Nick, you're kind of in agreement with that that it maybe totally. was a rush decision. I mean, I know I was looking into it, and I know that Ireland, Italy, and Wales have done the same thing and have declared the club season null and void. Doesn't mean Scotland has to do it, and. I mean, I was reading today Bigger are going to call for a single issue special general meeting to challenge the decision. It, it does. I mean, Alan's right. The, there's no hurry to do this. It could have waited six weeks or so when we've got an idea of when rugby's actually going to come back. I mean, realistically, we don't know when that's going to be. It might not be until, worst case scenario, God hope I'm wrong, uh, it might not be until next March. So you just finish this season next season, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, it, it just it just all seems a bit. I don't know. It's throwing the baby out with the bathwater. What I would add to this, though, is of course it's a difficult position to be put in. Yeah, there's there's you know there's there's no situation where you're going to make a choice and everyone is going to be happy with it. Unfortunately, I think that's absolutely right. Yeah, that's the burden though of being uh, in charge of a, a national game, and I mean, Nick will probably know this much better than I do. Um, we struggle to decide which pub to go to next. It, having it. That's a problem I have freak. Well, it's not a problem we have at the moment. Yeah, but common sense by committee is not something that's ever going to happen. But they could have at least deliberated over it a little bit longer. Yeah, and I I think, think, yeah, I think it's the manner in which it's been done. And it, you know, they're saying, oh, well, this is just what's going to happen. And then they said to Bigger, and I think Dalkeitha, well, you know, there's. That's that's just the way it is, kind of thing. It's like, look, this whole situation is unprecedented. Have a bit of patience, have a little bit of compassion, and just hold your horses. Yeah, because like, I mean, you know, it does. It, it is, I think, kind of symptomatic of some of the issues the SRU have had of late, in terms of the way things have been communicated. That that clubs were kind of asked for their opinion, which you know, there's no harm in doing that. But then to turn it round and essentially say, I think in a one of the early press releases about this, this was the club's decision, which it it, it it wasn't because they weren't asked to make the decision in the first place. Yeah, I think no. the, the thing that makes it particularly, it sticks in the craw for quite a few people is, at least speaking to some folk in Clubland, is some clubs believe, and from certain areas believe, that they, they were asked what their view was. Some felt like they were just being told, this is all right, isn't it? Some felt like there was a questionnaire of of of, of kind um, to be done. It it just feels like if they wanted to make a rush decision, why did they not make things clear as early as possible? Because uh, I know a lot of people will be finding this with their work at the moment. Um, is people get most frustrated when they're treated like mushroom. If you keep them in the dark and feed them shit, they're gonna get angry. Yeah, and I, I, I yeah, have to and do, the I, clubs. What what was the turnaround time on the for want of a better word, the survey. I mean, it was less than 48 hours as well. Yeah. Which so there's kind no time of at makes all me, I mean, if, yeah. And if I get something like that through in a work capacity, my gut feel is that somebody's asking for an opinion that they're then going to revisit and say, well, you know, do you want to discuss this further? Not um, actually, we're going to base a pretty big decision on this. Yeah. I think I have to declare I have an interest in this as well because Berica were top of national three. Uh, at the time and I think I can't remember who it is whoever's bottom of national two are bottom by quite a fair way so it's not yeah it's not an ideal situation and I think like we said we we don't know how long rugby's going to be out for so uh, you know just holding holding fire a little bit and the other thing then is 
Um, just, just, to, just to say on this quickly as well is, as I mentioned before, there will be an element that someone somewhere is just going to have to suck it up, and I don't know how mm. to go to any more than that. You're just going to have to deal with it because, and it's, uh, we now play this game in my house where every time we hear on the telly or on the news the word unprecedented, you have to drink whatever's nearest to you. So a lot. <laughs> But um, but um, a large part of what I've what I've what I've said and what I've been reading about this has come from the offside line, and David Barnes has been really good about this. I've been speaking to mm. him about it, and I'd keep up to date with them if you're if you're not already, because they're very good on issues like this. Yeah, and and fairly even-handed as well, because I think the, the kind of David's obviously in touch with a, a range of clubs across Scotland, so I think the coverage has been fairly fairly even-handed in that you know not not everybody disagrees with the decision to end the season early um albeit there are some clubs you know worse affected than others in the likes of bigger and dark keith um the other thing then to to say is that the siu then i think this week announced that they've furloughed staff and anybody who is paid over fifty thousand a year uh is now going to have wage reductions rather than deferrals including uh, mark dodson um do you, I mean, essentially, that Mark Dodson was saying on the official Scottish Rugby podcast that they that Scotland are looking at a loss of twelve million pounds if the Ottoman nationals uh, don't well, it's, go ahead. It's a, they're looking at a reduction in turnover of twelve million pounds, so that's money coming through. But they would be spending some of that money on, you know, switching the lights on at Murrayfield and all that kind of stuff. So it's not actually a twelve million concrete loss which I don't I'm, I'm sure that's I'm sure he meant what I'm saying I don't think he communicated it very well we're not going to end up with a deficit of 12 million quid at the end of well we might but it's not just going to be from the loss of the autumn internationals but the, the loss of the autumn internationals is it's the big boogie boogeyman in in um test rugby at the moment it's what everyone fears about I mean Gus Pichot uh was mm. talking I mean, he's okay. He's been interviewed by everyone at the moment, but he was speaking to AFP um, that potentially at Test Rugby could see a loss of I don't know what figure from, but seven hundred million dollars could be the loss that they've got. Um, so it is something that people are terrified, and it's why we keep hearing folks saying, "When is it going to be back?" We all and and just plucking days out of the air saying, oh, sport could be back by then. And if it's not back by then, we could play it on, um, we could play it on um, behind closed doors because, hey, if we're going to lose the gate receipt, at least we'll be maybe getting some TV money out of things. Yeah, and that's the interesting thing because there's also a lot of, um, certainly my inbox on the podcast has been filled with a lot of snake oil salesmen making wild promises about things like passports and speaking to the government when I don't think they are in touch with governments at all, trying to kind of get promote their own business with on the back of promises of getting sport back up and running. And there's a lot of that going around at the minute. And I don't there certainly doesn't seem to be any guarantees coming from anybody in who who's actually in charge. Well I mean the most realistic thing I've read is that sport will be played, if it is played, behind closed doors for at least 18 months or until there is a vaccine. Well, Which basically means nobody has any bloody idea when, when it's going to be played again. And I think, I think that is the fair one to say. I mean, you can't realistically, especially after what happened at Cheltenham, you can't say, oh, we're going to play Argentina and Japan in November with 67,500 people there. New Zealand is probably already off the table because they're likely to have a travel ban. And it's, I think the thing, a large thing is that we can speculate as much as we want, but realistically, people are waiting for the shoe to drop. So mm. you, can get, you can get a domino effect with these things. So, you know, in the last, uh, since 20 past six, it's been reported that the Prime Minister of uh, the Netherlands has announced that there will be no football until September the 1st. So that is a concrete decision that can have an impact on everything else. Suddenly you've got major sporting leagues around Europe and and the rest of the well, the, some of the rest of the world. I'm thinking of America. Don't really care what's happening in Europe, but the <laughs> country looking at going right. Okay, someone's got their finger out and made a decision. We might not agree with it. It might be conservative. It might not be conservative enough. But someone has made a decision. Right? Can we measure ourselves against that? Yeah, and I think that because rugby more than any other sport it, it is international. I mean, you've got probably outside of I suppose France and England have got their own domestic leagues, but outside of that. 
every club is crossing club and country is crossing international borders to go and play. So until those different countries align their um, their rules as to what's acceptable or not, it's pretty hard to, to go ahead with any games. So if you look at, I mean, uh, one of the questions I think you sent, sent to us before this was, is it possible to end the 1920 elite season or international season or what are the potential fallout from that? So... You look at the cons and you say, right, that ticket revenue we were talking about, that TV money is gone. But what about the other side? If you're slap, trying to slap games together as quickly as possible, if you're looking at the player welfare aspect of things, okay, wow, that's that's a minefield. You then look at the uh, at the potential knock-on for the Lions. You've got people talking about, what, well, this is a great time to experiment with the global season. All of that, fine. But the one thing that we do have written down on paper is when new players sign contracts to play for other teams. You can't muck about with that. And I did a piece uh, for Rugby World recently where I spoke to some agents where they said, yeah, okay, there might be extraordinary circumstances, but from a player welfare point of view, I'm not telling someone to go and play for their old club when they're contracted to someone else and risk injury that someone else has to pay for. That's precisely it. It's the insurance and the injury aspect. So, you know, if you look at when is it going to start again, there are people that will just be going, you know what, we've, we have to pick our battles. We've got this thing that's set in stone. Let's just wait and see when that can kick in. Yeah, because that was, that was an interesting article because the other side of that is if this is a prolonged thing that, well, I certainly think, I think it might be John Barkley at the, at the outset of this said, you know, there are guys who aren't going to play rugby again. There are already guys signed to clubs who are, who are never going to play professional rugby again or have played their last yeah. match. You've mm. also got a situation where I think in that article that you wrote, Alan, that people aren't, you know, that there are players who aren't going to be able to get contracts and are going to have to go and find other work. And it, there's going to be a question mark about whether they'll even be able to kind of return to rugby longer term. Absolutely. And you mentioned international borders, and this is the reason why I brought this up, as you said, there are some leagues that are just international leagues. The biggest, and I, I spoke to an agent from New Zealand, and he said, one of the biggest problems is looking at that is, what assurances would we have that our players could ever go and take up their contract in another country or that they are able to cross borders continuously to play the leagues? There will be people in Sanzar that are bricking it because they are wondering just how they, whenever a new league kicks off, um, whatever you say about uh, the ability to have thousands of people in one place again, um, just surely having someone that can travel to another country through a couple of time zones just to play a game of rugby it's 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 got to be a real concern, no matter what contract you've signed. Yeah, it was interesting. I hadn't realised that Semi uh, Kunivani has been uh, quarantined in Fiji because he went back improperly. I think I d- I did know that. Yeah, and he was he went back from France and he was almost arrested. Yes. but they stuck him in quarantine instead. But I mean, you've got people like um, I don't know. I mean, sort of all of the Kiwis stuck in France at the moment. For example, no, I'd, I mean, they may not be able to go back to New Zealand this calendar year. And if if I was a New Zealand player in New Zealand looking at a French contract, I just I think I'd probably just be like that at the moment. Yeah. Just be like, no, we'll be staying here. Thanks very much. I, I mean, certainly that I mean, you touched on that before, Alan, about the, this idea that the you know the ending the current season and there's all this talk of, well, you know, the RFU saying, well, we can, you know, we, we can tack our summer tour to Japan onto the Ottoman nationals and complete the six nations at the same time. I mean, that, that, that seems massively misconceived, surely that you can, you can, you know, kind of plow that many games from a player welfare point of view into that, you know, into that short time frame. Yeah. I mean, there are a lot of unknowns. Uh, I mean, if you wanted to play devil's advocate, you could say that the player welfare deals that are in place are for a certain number of minutes or matches played for a year i forget the number off the top of my head i believe it's 38 i can't don't hold me to that i can't mind off the top of my head exactly what the numbers are or meaningful minutes how does that affect when you stretch into a whole other uh, period of time that's beyond the regular season there will be wrangling to have uh with that but it, to be honest it's the financial imperative that's what the unions are worried about you know, the Six Nations was designed in a way so that we had fallow weeks because people find it unfathomable that you could have that many high-intensity games, the highest level you can play in Europe, um, all crammed together. 
Um, so to go, well, we'll accelerate that. We'll play games that are outstanding, and we've got to go on a tour with all the travel and the logistics and blah blah blah. Just to, out of a period where you've not been doing much at all, because let's be honest, preseason is vital for a reason. To come out of lockdown, there's no way you're simulating anything like that unless you're getting your wife to hold a pad. You know, <laughs> there's just no way that you can go from that, that you know, into straight into elite rugby and then very shortly in a, over a time frame go right lads we really need to play this this tour it's 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 I, I feel sorry for administrators because you're damned if you do damned if you don't how do you make a decision um again it's one of those situations where no one's going to be happy but uh, you know those there's just going to be that that doubt in the back of your mind are we going to make enough money this year and i think i mean moving on from that as well it's not just about player welfare you've got um, the world rugby, the release rules, the international windows, all of that. So you could be going to Japan with your second, if not your third string squad because the players you actually want to take aren't being released by their clubs. Because at the end of the day, especially in England, you're going to end up with this massive conflict between the RFU and the Premier League as you know, everybody's trying to make money here, everybody's trying to stay afloat. You're not going to release your international players if you don't have to, because you want them playing for you. Yeah, I mean that's I suppose that's that's the an interesting question, isn't it? Can can given particularly the financial issues down in the Southern Hemisphere, but also even within the English Premiership, and as much as you know the, the SRU says it's financially in a good position, there are still some question marks over that and outstanding loans, etc. Can can rugby actually survive a, a prolonged shutdown, Alan? Um, cer- well, certainly if you listen to uh, P-Shot today, whose uh, tactics uh, on, on the campaign trail are, are fairly interesting at the moment. He seems to be speaking. I'm, I wouldn't be surprised if he's done a podcast with my dad. Uh, <laughs> he, what he was saying to AFP, uh, Association French Press, was that... Um, that he foresees the potential for a 700 million hole. They have coffers of 120 million at World Rugby. They are not going to be able to put a band-aid on everything. People are going to have to make changes. People are going to have to cut their cloth accordingly. The problem is, is that rugby is in this position where we are straining so hard as a sport to win people over, to try and tell people how fantastic it is. You hear bollocks being spouted about values and why it's the you know why it's the one true sport. And all of this, and it's it's not reflected in reality because we need as many people watching it as possible, and you need to get people out buying the merchandise, buying the tickets. Is it a number one priority right now? You know, when sport comes roaring back, and rugby, for the sheer nature of it, the you know the fact that you are going to be rubbing foreheads with someone in a scrum that where you're sweating on each other, the inherent risks of that means that it could be one of the last sports to come back. Um, in this environment, is it is it the number one priority to be going to those games when potentially you you're on furlough yourself? Obviously, that's a major concern for sport everywhere. You'd hope that rugby can survive, and it you know we've been keep hearing numbers being borne out about how it's the the fastest growing uh, women's sport in America, how it's uh, the fastest growing sport sport in certain areas. Why the numbers are fantastic? Well, we keep seeing these numbers, whether you think they're inflated or not, from world rugby. It's time to see what they get back from that in terms of buying the merchandise, the tickets, buying the, in Italy or Japan, buying a DAZN um, account so that you can stream games live when games are finally back on. It is a true, true test. But like it or not, things are going to have to change. Whether it's a rejigging of the global season, whether people actually take get their finger out and say, right, let's try and align something so that the hemispheres are closer together. Whether it's people saying, you know what, we're not going to, make as much money the, the the real problem is is that if you have your november tests or next year we go right we'll make our money back next year is someone like an england more likely to share gate receipts with uh, a samoa for example it looks less and less likely in a scenario like this yeah i mean i suppose nick it kind of exposes the the thin line rugby's been treading financially and it's been coming for a while but this has really exposed it um, and whether or not you know rugby needs perhaps needs to kind of go back to the drawing board and start living within its means. I think 
I don't think it's just rugby, to be fair. I think it's exposed every professional sport, yeah. just how yeah, frail the finances are. It's a very, they're all skating very close to the edge. But I think, I mean, rugby's only been professional for 25 years. It's still very amateurish in a lot of ways. And I think trying to take the silver lining in all of this is that this is the opportunity to go back to the drawing board and go, okay, right, actually, how do we build a sport that is sustainable, that can survive? Because there will be, I mean, it's an awful thing to say, but this is not going to be the last crisis that rugby faces. Um, But yeah, how do we build a sustainable sport? And I think Alan's right. It's, you know, it could be aligning the Northern and Southern Hemisphere seasons more closely it's certainly going to mean um sharing sharing the pot far more fairly than it does at the moment um how they get that through world rugby i have well i I think to be quite honest it's going to have to be bribery and emotional blackmail you know (laughs) if you want a bailout you'll be voting for this and i mean i quite honestly i've been thinking i've been racking my brains the last couple of days because i think a lot of what pichot says makes a lot of sense to me and he is very definitely on the campaign trail. I've never seen anything like it. I mean, it makes Trump look sane. Um, but, it, it, I mean, it is going to be, it's so, the voting is so, for want of a better word, it's so rigged at World Rugby. It's so in favour of the Northern Hemisphere that the only way they are going to get this through and they are going to they are going to make the financial changes they need to make is, yeah, by going, if you, if you want a bailout, you're going to sign up to this. Yeah. I mean, there's a reason. You Sorry. Well, it's just one of the things I've heard mentioned is over and over again is the virtue of venture capital money and the increasing reliance on the hope that someone will bring in venture capital money. You know, the Six Nations, and there will be people stinging the the fact that if you if you get the chance, go and there's some incredible detail in the Financial Times about the CVC uh, deal and or that's not quite going ahead yet of the 300 million that's promised to uh, Six Nations uh, for getting a slice of the pie. Um, whether that pans out, people will be hoping that the rug isn't pulled on that because it's vital, vital money. Well, having uh, worked with venture capitalists, I can promise you that they are not now going to be putting 120 million into the Pro 14 or 300 million into the Six Nations. Yeah. Not for the deal that was on the table before this. Yeah. If they're putting that kind of money in, they're going to want a much bigger share. And it's not, this. Um, I've said this on Twitter before, a lot of people seem to think that it's free money. It's not. All it is is an advance payment for a profit share. So, you know, that works wonderfully if the profits in the Six Nations or Pro 14 or whatever are going up. But as soon as you hit something, as soon as you hit a roadblock of any sort and the profits tumble, you're getting a smaller percentage share of a smaller pot. Yeah. And it's the worrying thing with that is, who? What is the bigger picture of that? Because if you chuck what now, where it'll be a shrinking. I agree with Nick. I imagine it'll be a shrinking pot, or any size of pot that you get will come with a lot more strings attached to it, mm. um, or uh, you know, a lot more of a share or a lot more of a say on certain things. That's going to shake itself out. But you know, I heard a little rumor when I was in Japan that. It's funny they were saying uh, it seems like a lifetime ago now the World Cup in Japan. <laughs> Even do you remember? Do you remember when we were worried about typhoons and arguing about I weather know. systems? <laughs> it seems so mundane now. Yeah, well, yeah. yeah. Uh, having been in a shaking shack on a hill in uh, um, in uh, Yokohama, I can tell you, it still lives with me that one. But <laughs> um, my teeth were rattling with the wind. Um, but the the way that um, the, it was being told then, back then, was. Oh, the ink's almost dry on a deal for the Six Nations with CVC. We're just waiting waiting with the lawyers now. Now, that was months ago. And this was, you know, we couldn't foretell that, uh, well, some people could, but your average Joe in sport and uh, the marketing of it couldn't tell then that something like this was going to happen. But what it came down to was it was suggested to me, and I, I, I don't, I'm not sure I'd be able to stand this up unless I spoke to someone at CVC or, or elsewhere, that there were, 
there potentially would be plans or the perfect world for someone from the Six Nations would be a clause that would mean that there's no major investment in any other major international tournaments elsewhere. So I'm imagining for some people the dream would be in venture capital investment in this one tournament in Europe, you're not getting the same for the rugby championship. So what happens then if all the money worldwide shrinks but some people get a deal? You're going to have even more power lying with established powerhouses yeah. in Europe, which is not which is the exact opposite of the place we want to be. But the thing is, is if we go through such dire times and you have a trailblazer or someone pertaining to be a trailblazer saying what we need is vast reform and you're all going to have to suck it up for a while and actually we should spread the love a little bit. What, right now, when I've been stung this much and I've just lost the November tests, sling your hook. Yeah. Yeah, or I can get the November tests and I can take all the revenue from that. Thanks very much. Sling your hook. Yeah. Yeah, because I mean, I, pretty my understanding of it has always been that within the rugby championship, New Zealand are the only um, union that that are just about afloat, and that's because they've got this massive global brand. But even they have their own financial difficulties. Yeah, I mean, I, I've been looking at their finances the last week or so, and it's they're smaller. It's more controlled. They get a lot of people at test matches and they get a lot of people at super rugby games. Um, they don't pay vastly inflated salaries compared to some other places. Um, and it's just, it seems to be on the face of it, it looks as though it's pretty well managed. Um, South Africa have always skated close to the wind and Australia, I mean, frankly, that's just a disaster. I mean, there's absolutely, there's no way of sugar cut. And, the letter that they um oh, God. That they, I was just a bit like, do you know what? Don't kick someone when they're down. <laughs> and also, I mean, the, the thing that actually really pissed me off about it was it's absolutely in my book, it's absolutely fair enough to criticize or you know, to to disagree. But to go in there and basically say, We think we you need new leadership, but not propose any solutions or offer to help, I'm a bit like, Yeah, do you know what? Just do one. Frankly, that's not helpful. That's just that's just being an arse because your mate didn't get the job. Yeah, no, it's an interesting one, that letter. For, for those that don't know about it, there's a the story about a, a letter that's been co-signed by Wall, former Wallabies captains to to have one of their mates installed to, to replace Ray Lee. And it's an interesting one. That's because I feel bad. About two years ago, I spoke to, I was speaking to someone that was an administrator out in Australia for sport. And they said that Raylene Castle, she had, when she was with the Bankstown Bulldogs, yet they were an interesting case study for an NRL side because they made money from um, the pools, um, at the local pools, which kept the, the club afloat and actually put them in quite a, a position. But that being said, Raylene Castle was very well respected. Uh, by administrators in the NRL. And uh, speaking to an agent uh, over the summer uh, who deals with a lot of big international trades, they said that she is an absolute dream to work with uh, in terms of, of contracts and she seems to have her head screwed on and she doesn't, you know, she's, she's not going to muck about but she knows her stuff. But it's interesting to see that and then what's happening in Australia. You just think, are, who's going to tear themselves apart? On the one hand, though, I do admire the chutzpah to just go, <laughs> what, everything is falling apart right now. Was it Martin McCutcheon's song? This is my moment. This is- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> let's, let's just detonate it completely. It's yeah. like that, um, that, that video, well, it's like loads of videos you see on Twitter of, of someone trying to make a fire bigger by pouring petrol on it yeah. and, then, and then spreading just fire around their own garden. Um, yeah. I think that, I mean, because the, 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 my, my brother lives out in, in Australia, I think the interesting, the thing I've always found interesting in Australia is that the union's fairly down the pecking order in terms of sports out there. It's yeah. not necessarily I mean, it's probably the biggest number, one. Yeah, it's probably number four. You've got NRL, you've got AFL, you've got cricket. Yeah. So, it's, um, I mean, they, you know, yeah. they, they lost the, although they've got global rapid rugby, which we'll touch on in a bit. Um, in You know, Perth hasn't got a, a, a rugby team anymore, but... You know, at one the reason the Lions went out there is because I think it's something like sixty percent of the population are expats. So mm. basically, everybody's there to see the Lions when they go to Australia. Nobody's there to support Australia. Having been there in two thousand in twenty thirteen and two thousand and one, yeah, 
and that's and that's being really polite about it. Yeah, my nephew, my nephew still has a strong. Uh, it was born in Australia, but has a strong Scottish accent because <laughs> because he, because all, he just hangs around with Scottish people. Like Clapham, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, the, I mean, it's probably worth kind of turning now to. It's an, it's interesting that this has all fallen. Um, coincidentally, at the same time as we've got this this tussle at the top of world rugby for for, for who's going to be who's going to be the top dog between Bill Bowman and and Gus Pichot. Um and uh, like you said, Alan, it's interesting. That Gus Pichot in the last couple of days, I think, has, has gone on this big charm offensive. Bill Bowman's maybe keeping his powder dry a little bit, but it, it's Gus Pichot certainly the more seductive one because he's he's the more maybe the the, the sexier option out of the two or presenting himself was, in that way i was gonna say he's gus Pichot. you don't actually need to say anything more than that well, that's true yeah i, I don't I, I think but overall i mean that i think when you actually dig scratch below the surface on both neither neither you know they both have their downsides i guess i mean with bill bowman he's aligned himself to you know bernard laporte who has supported a you know francis Keane for a nomination to uh, the World Rugby Executive Board, who, uh, for people that don't know, I mean, he, World Rugby today announced that the nomination had been withdrawn, I think, or he's, he's no longer up for election because of homophobia, notwithstanding the fact he's been named in two Amnesty International reports um, against, you know, in terms of the goings-on in Fiji and also um, was in prison for manslaughter um, back well, in 2007. What I will say is this is, and I'm, certainly I'll hold my hands up to this. Um, perhaps you could argue that there's a there's a this guy was has been on the council for uh, over a year. Mm. It, it's a feeling. And certainly, I feel bad for not digging into his uh, him earlier or, or looking at it. But I would say fantastic work from Stephen Jones, this is a colleague of mine, Stephen Jones at the Sunday Times, yeah, and, uh, for highlighting uh, this. And I suppose, sure. You know, manslaughter and uh, a lot of other things, uh, handling of the prison system, for example. But if it, you know, if it took a homophobia uh, issue to 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 get him out, fine, I'm happy with that. Is you know, he's gone. I think the whole thing though is that, and as a contact at World Rugby said to me today, uh, he's been there for a year. What's it take? Why is it taking this? Oh, it's all politics. Sure, but that is the thing, and. Actually, if anything, this has played into Bill Beaumont's hands. You know, there was this, uh, leave it to work its, itself out. Um, the Sunday Times do a report. Uh, World Rugby Act very fast. Fiji Rugby replaced him with someone else. There is still a Fiji representative on the council who will get a vote. And so now Bill Beaumont keeps his support base and the, the irritating problem of Francis Keane that could have been a thought, potentially a thorn in the side uh, when you're campaigning uh, for him and Laporte is gone. So if, if anything, I don't know how much impact it will really have or would really have uh, on uh, the support for uh, Beaumont. It's interesting, Laporte, uh, one, of his, one of his things today was he spoke to Chris Jones from the BBC Five Live podcast today and uh, one of the things he said was, He's still very confident, but he sees it. He's playing the underdog card because, and let's be honest, he is the underdog. Uh, he says, at the moment, going into things on the very surface, before you start campaigning for anyone else, it's 20 votes for Beaumont because that's all of the Six Nations powers and of, of the 51, and 14 votes, votes for him, which is he said is Sanzar and two other South America votes. So 12 plus 2, 14. So that he's aware that he is... He's got the losing hand right now, so there's going to be a lot of politic to come. Yeah, I mean the interesting thing is that there was a. I, mean, I might be reading too much into this, but um, Mark Dodson specifically referenced um, discussions coming out of Sanzar on the Scottish, the official Scottish Rugby podcast, and it talked about kind of interesting discussions. And I wonder, and this again, I might be reading too much into it, how much the SRU were stung or how isolated they've become post Japan and whether or not in you know they they are you know 
I suppose they they could look at it two ways. Do they do they go with the throw the lot in with Sansar and everybody else and say, well, we're the within the Six Nations, we're the plucky underdogs, and we're going to vote with the with everybody else, or do they try and build bridges closer to home? I mean, it's, it, is is it is it a tough choice? Do you think, Nick's? God, I wouldn't want to be the person having to make that decision. Um, yeah, I think it's a really tough choice. Um, well, in some ways, it's a really tough choice. But if you're an SRU administrator, you want the Six Nations to stay as they are. Um, you don't want to risk being relegated. Um, there is no guarantee that if Pichot got in, that would happen. But that's certainly, he's certainly a bit more vocal about that. And he's also talking about profit sharing, um, aligning the global calendar, supporting the League of Nations, Nations League concept, all that kind of stuff. I think... I think you'd probably throw your hat in with Bowman, to be honest. If I would try and keep the status quo. Yeah, um, I'd, I'd agree. It's it, better the devil you know. Yeah. With, with that, particularly if you're coming through financial hardship, stick on block. I mean, putting my mischief, mischievous hat on, I would love for it to happen. If only just going by um, P shots maths. Uh, if they, yes, if he says twenty, but Scotland have three votes. Well, they've got three people on the council. So if you take those three votes and lob them over to Pshot using his math, it's seventeen all, all to play for. Let's get the campaigning really into high gear. Now I don't see that happening, but it would be—I'd love it if it did. I think uh, it'd be highly entertaining, and let's face it, we all need a bit of entertainment at the moment. So, yeah, I mean, know. Gus Pshot is kind of an interesting character because his big thing, certainly in the interviews he's done, is all about transparency. But there have been questions thrown his way oh, thrown about cast about him it, since he's kind of taken over the his position at world rugby i think he was there's allegations well certainly suggestions he's too close to people like bruce craig and there was the the fact that he took a, a job as president and director of the argentinian mining company owned by andrew forrest who also founded global rugby and i think the fact that he well, certainly from from the articles I've read, Gus Pichot has no background running companies, let alone any experience of mining. And I think that 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 caused quite a stir at World Rugby when he took up that position. There's also allegations going further back, um, conflicts of interest, um, the commercial relationships he had with ESPN and the sponsors when he was part of the Argentinian Rugby Union Board. Yeah, and I think I don't know. I think they. I think culturally they have a different view. Argentina has a different view on things like that than we do in Europe. And the, there is a larger grey area, which Let's, explains what was happening when he was on the Argentinian Rugby Union board. It doesn't explain away what was happening when he was at World Rugby because he would have been told what was OK and what wasn't. Sure. I mean, I think what this comes down to is we can't let However it's being spun... And if you boil it down to the simplest version, how some people will want you to see it is that it's the, the sprightly young reformer is the establishment and and the safety net of what we know to be true. That's fine, but only if you don't lose sight of the fact that we are dealing with two politicians here. You know, whatever yeah. you think of the rugby past, wherever you think of their job as, uh, as one of the captains on Questions of Sport or the fact that they ignited a, a, a World Cup in France, or who played rugby in the modern age and who didn't, whatever you want, remember that we're dealing with two politicians here. One that is aligned with Bernard Laporte, who, if there was a nuclear winter, would be the last person alive. He'd still be wandering around. he always survive. <laughs> I mean, he looks like a Bond villain. He and, does. It's the hair and the eyes. But the most affable Bond villain you've ever seen. And and the other one, yep, he has ties to ESPN South America and the promotion of that and the the PR campaign that went with that. He was aligned with Twiggy Forest's business, um, uh, mining business in South America when at the time when World Rugby ratified Global Rapid Rugby and its its wacky different rules, uh, law, sorry laws uh, for the game and the approach to that. Um, fine, but let's just put our cards on the table and say that this is. A campaign for people that want a position of great of, of power. 
the thing though it comes down to though, and it's whenever you look at any potential reform with world rugby, is we're being promised an awful lot by these two. And if you look at their manifestos, they talk. They both talk a lot about governance review. Um, one wants to. P. Shot, for example, talks about making a change to the weighting of the voting structure, and um, Beaumont wants to to review what each area of they do. So there's been a lot of talk about what the council do, what the exco do, um, the fact that they're aligned to the Rugby World Cup Limited, um, where the powers lie with that. That needs to be looked at if they're going to modernise further. They're make, both making great noises about that. They're both making noises about investment uh, and the, the politics. It's who you want to hang your hat on and say, who is more likely to win that political vote? And to be honest, we've talk, I've talked an awful lot around in circles there, but it's not going to change my mind that Beaumont at the moment is the guy in the driving seat. And it's an interesting tidbit here, is there were reports in France about a year ago that Laporte was aligning himself closer towards P-Shot. You fast forward to now, and Laporte is the guy that Beaumont wanted. You know, when they announced that there was going to be a double ticket, now, remember, Laporte's running unopposed, but there was an announcement of a double ticket, Beaumont wanted Laporte. What's happened in a year? Because, let's be honest, Laporte rarely backs losers. Yeah. I mean, he's obviously watched the 15 years Bill Beaumont was on Question Sport, clearly. <laughs> I think the other thing to say is, I mean, they are, yeah, as um, Alan says, they're, they're two individuals who want a position of power within the game. But, you know, it's all very well to say we want to change things, we want to change the weighting of the vote, we want a governance review, we want this, we want that, blah, blah, blah. They still have to get it through. Mm. Yeah. And that's the, that's- I mean, so quite honestly, I mean, Pichot, He's got absolutely nothing to lose by promising the earth because when it comes down to it, if he, and it's a big if, if he ended up in that position of power and it doesn't go through, well, it's not my fault. Yep. It's kind of, I mean, you, you mentioned Trump. I don't think he's this bad, but, you know, no. whenever Trump. <laughs> it's just that it's the, it's the size of the, it's the magnitude of the charm offensive that's been happening since the weekend has slightly. Yeah, I think there's there isn't there's definitely a populist element to it though because Pichu has grabbed on these popular ideas in terms of nationality, and I think mm. you, know, you do wonder whether or not if you know if he thought he would get him votes, he'd, he'd campaign to bring back rucking. He kind of is yeah, going right. for the big um, kind of popular ideas that outside you know sort of outside of the people who are actually voting play very well in certain in certain crowds i mean certainly the nationality thing is a big is a big winner in some sections to kind of constantly you know he, he's constantly retweeting kind of the, the national makeup of every single squad yeah and it's it's an interesting one because actually that seems more of a conservative view it's interesting that beaumont has spoken about he'd be open to the idea of switching allegiances which Certainly, been yeah. played well to some to some folk, and now obviously there's there's a political reason why Fiji are aligned with France and France are aligned with Beaumont. But it's it, it you know it, it's interesting that actually that would appeal to you'd imagine to certainly a, a few Pacific Island nations anyway, because it means mm-hmm. they'd have a wider play, potentially a wider playing base uh, for major tournaments going ahead. Um, yeah, you're right. There's sometimes it feels a bit like Oprah Winfrey. You get a car, and you get a car, and you get a car. Uh, we're promising the earth, but it comes. It, it does boil down to what Nick said. Um, you need to get things across the line. And if if Pichot was to get through, and he said, "Oh well, look, I wanted this radical reform. It got shot down. It's not me. I have the best interests at heart. It's these old fuddy duddies that I've got to deal with. The same ones that I relied on to get voted into this position." Yeah, and it, it's it's one of those weird things because those old fuddy duddies reminds me of Will Carlin's comment about the old farts at Twickenham. Yeah, um, they've got in a in a weird way they've got nothing to lose by voting for Peace Show because they know that they can stop any of the reforms that they don't like. Yeah, so you end up in that sort of with that slightly weird anomaly that he could get in because. You know, he's the trendy one who wears his trainers with his suits and he's gush P-show and aren't we being benevolent 
by giving power to to the younger I don't know what you want to call it um you know the young crusader or something like that but actually we're going to tie his hands behind his back and not let him do anything I suppose if you if you look at it from from if if they look at it from from widening the global appeal of rugby, uh, who do you want front and centre of for uh, you know the, in front of the the cameras for promoting rugby around the world? Do you want Bill Bowman, saggy old Bill Bowman, or do you want you know sexy Gus Pichot? And like you said, Nick, if they if you know if they can effectively stop them getting through any of the reforms that they disagree with, but have this young dynamic or seemingly young dynamic figurehead there talking about things like getting rugby into esports then th- there is a certain attraction to that as unlikely as it might be to actually happen in a funny way that's why Bowman and Pisha have worked well for the last four years because you could wheel out Pisha with the chat about the esports and you know he's the yeah the young sexy face of the rugby world cup and this and that and he's a bit of a maverick and you can't always control what he's going to say and then you've got Bowman quietly in the background getting on with stuff. Um, how it will work with Bowman and Laporte, that, that will be interesting. Yeah, Laporte is, really is, is the ace in the hole here. Because we know from what happened with the voting for the 2023 World Cup that Laporte and his pals can campaign. They can win over uh, support mm-hmm. uh, by, by means. Um, I'll say no more than that. The, um, you know, it's it's almost like uh, Frank Underwood uh, from House of Cards. Uh, <laughs> he, he is very good at this. And he's not shy of a reform himself. You know, we can look at, uh, I mean, I speak to a lot, you can go back, going back to that piece I wrote about uh, the current transfer market in rugby. Agents have been saying for a while anyway that France is changing and that, the ability to get lots of bang for your buck, um, sorry, to get a lot of bucks for your bang even, from sending players into the French market, the, that market is getting smaller. Mm. And fewer and fewer teams won. You can't deny that Laporte's played, or at least the FFR, played a part in that. They've got the GIF system, they've now got the TIF system coming in, where money will be pulled centrally for from clubs that have helped raise a star player, everyone that's raised them is, is due to some money for the club that currently owns that star player from France, which is a convoluted system that means that there will be money getting dished out all sorts, but look who gets to handle it, it's the FFR. Um, it's, it's a very interesting uh, change, but he's instigated that, whether it's for the best, whether it's not, who knows, he's not scared of try, uh, trying things. And he, if you want, he can perform potentially. He could perform the role that Pichot has performed for World Rugby um, over the last four years, standing alongside Beaumont and saying, "Saying I will change this or I want to change that." And I think you're right. I mean, the the, um, the voting process for 2023, you certainly wouldn't ever bet against Laporte. Because, yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, before that process started, how many of us thought? realistically that France were going to get it and they pulled it out of the hat I don't think that I know for a fact due to my Twitter mentions that Ireland still have not forgotten Scotland forgiven the SRU for that (laughs) (laughs) the thinnest of reasons to bring that up Um, I I mean yeah it'd be interesting the the the, the Laporte Beaumont um, dynamic certainly I, I think Kind of, it was, a, it was a photo that was posted on Rugby World actually of, of Bill Beaumont and um, Gus Pichot smashing uh, hammers together in kimonos um, that just gave remi- made them look like a, a groom who'd been forced to take his father-in-law on a stag do. And then I looked at every other photo of them and it, and it gives off exactly the same vibe. Yeah, and it's but you know if we if we go quickly to the um, if he's not sinking Jaegers, um, Pichot. Um, you know, a lot of the reforms he's talking about will take time. To be fair, you have to be pragmatic in a position like that, and at least respect the fact that he's tempering some of some of the promises uh, or, or, or that he's that he will pursue certain things. So, the weighting of the voting structure, for example, he recognises that has to change. I think I saw an interview with him recently where he said, "Look, I'd like to say that I'd like to see Georgia and the Six Nations, but I'm realistic enough to know that that's not going to happen in six months. Hmm. That's going to 
concerted effort a long period of time. And I think the thing is, is that with any major change from any major organisation, it will take time. And it's just who you want at the forefront of that. And it, look, he is... Beaumont is the front runner. I, I, you know, I don't think you can make it plainer than that. I think, I think as well, there's so much turmoil going on at the moment in sports that people, well, in the world, but people instinctively, they go for the tried and tested. They go for the devil, you know. And I think that does give Bowman a big advantage. If coronavirus wasn't happening, if you, you know, USA rugby hadn't filed for Chapter 11, if Australia didn't have their backs against the wall, then I think Peter might have a better chance. But honestly, to back an unknown at the moment, and he is an unknown, um, yeah, I, I just I can't I just can't see people doing it. I think it's one of those ones that there might be a lot of chat at the moment about oh you know we'll back him and we think his reforms are great. You get Bowman to come up with something similar and say yeah well actually we'll consider that too, and I think it could end up going strongly in Bowman's favour. Mm. Uh, I think if you actually look back as well, um, uh, uh, someone said this to me today and I, I need to double check it, but I'm willing to believe them. Uh, has there ever been uh, a, uh, a Southern Hemisphere um, chairman of World Rugby? I don't think so. No. But, and as, as you said, Nick, and I would love for this to happen, if it is Beaumont, feel free to nick some of Gus's ideas, Bill, and yeah. a decent computer game. Well, yeah, that's one, yes. one thing. It was almost like um, the, the kind of wild promises I made when I tried to get elected to my student union uh, as president, <laughs> where I said I would put an extra fire escape just to increase the capacity in the bar that no one could ever get into. But it's this idea of I'm going to, I'm going to attract the youth vote um, by, by saying, promising a computer game. But, I mean, behind this, well, there is a point, isn't there? Because if you're going to give rugby a wider appeal, then the way to do that is to... Is 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 through through esports. It's also a money spinner, a massive money spinner, and you know, I mean, every union at the moment could do with some cash. So if you say, well, we'll give, we'll get a developer to come up with a game, we'll sell it, and we'll give you X amount of money, they're all going to fall over themselves, and they'd be silly not to. I think nobody's. I mean, I think no outside of I think Mario. Sevens on the Olymp- Mario Olympic Sevens. I think Josh Gardner had pointed out that's the closest that anybody's ever got to replicating rugby in a computer game, Alan. I mean, is it is it just a game, a sport that's impossible to to kind of create a, a, a decent game out of? I mean, one, it's constantly evolving. The rules change every five five minutes anyway. But but it, there's just so many things going on. It's not like FIFA or ISS Pro. Yeah, well, firstly, I'd like to say that you said the youthful, and as a 32-year-old, uh, I I remember playing computer games that had rugby in it. So if I'm categorised as the youthful, then that's great. I can feel young again. <laughs> we, you, you know, rug, rugby, rugby's biggest problem, and this is why some people, there are a lot of haters out there. I think it's probably just because I'm Scottish. I love, I love sevens. I think sevens is great, and one of the reasons sevens is successful is it's just easier to follow than fifteens. 15s the game let's let's not pretend that rugby union is not an incredibly convoluted sport it's bananas it's one of these great things that we've invented and we've added bells and whistles and all sorts it's a completely different game than it was 30 years ago it's a completely different game than it was 15 years ago it's completely changing it's hard to do that in a computer game but that's probably not the biggest reason why it's not out there EA sports for example were in the market for rugby games there's a reason why they're probably not in there anymore is just because it's not lucrative enough for them. Mm. There's just not... I mean, unfortunately, Rugby Union pushes at once, expands as it wants, is still such a niche sport in key markets that it just cannot compete with your... your. Um, I mean, my younger brother lives in Denmark. He's not playing any rugby games right now. He's playing NBA. NBA is a, a sport that is on the march. It's enormous in Asia. It's enormous in the US. Soccer, FIFA, is enormous around the globe. Is a rugby game going to hit the ground running? Is it going to be worth putting the development dollars into now? No. It's why you need to somehow find a way of cajoling them along. And it won't be a company like that, one of the major companies. It'll be another gaming company that you get on site to take a risk, possibly. But I want to see people try 
I, I the idea of seeing pe- the people that are shooting down the idea like that, saying why is it important? If you're on a social media platform complaining about certain rugby things, guess what? You're already into rugby. It's not you they care about. It's the people that they want to get into it. And if a game is the way of doing that, so be it. Yeah. Um, finally, I'm going to get you both to peer into your crystal balls. And where, where do you, I'll start with you next. Where do you think we'll be in 12 months from now? Well, I hope we won't still be self-isolating. <laughs> um, given that, yeah, I'm yeah climbing walls already. Um, well, so I spit my crystal ball. I think the Lions tour will be postponed a year, um, at least. Um, I think, I hope that we will have a more equitable game so that revenue sharing will be happening, that, um, this is being very optimistic, but that um, the unions the unions will have ended up realising that the only way that rugby can survive is for everybody to work together. So if the Autumn Internationals take place, that in order for the game to grow and to thrive and to survive even, that revenue sharing is going to have to, is going to, have to happen. Um, I hope we'll see a full Six Nations played. Um, but yeah, I mean, my big one. I was going to mention this. I think I, I think I put it on Twitter. I think I tweeted it at you, Cami. I can't remember now. Um, I've spent a lot of time on social media in the last couple of weeks. Um, <laughs> boredom does that to you. But um, I got an email from Lions Rugby last Thursday or Friday, mm. asking when I would be prepared to book. It was basically a multiple choice question. I mean, Lions Rugby makes all of its money from the tourists um, who go with them, and my gut feeling is that that will not happen in 2021. Yeah. I suppose that's the thing we, we you know, we, we look at how the SRU thing does, does things that they, they have these season tickets now, which is money and putting money in the bank. Mm. And if you have no games to promise, then that there's a hole there that needs filled. I mean, I'm, I'm probably yeah. more pessimistic uh, about things. I'm not, the thing I struggle with is, is, is I think it's something you said earlier, Alan, that, that it, uh, we're unlikely to see crowds back anytime soon, whether or not, and, and rugby probably is way down the pecking order as a contact sport. Yeah. So unless you suddenly turn everybody into playing touch rugby, and the way I play touch rugby, let me tell you, that's a non-contact sport, and you could very easily um, you know, maintain two metres at all time <laughs> while I was playing. Um, it, it's... it's you know, it's going to be a while. I, I think September and October is is optimistic at this stage for seeing any sort of rugby resuming. Yeah, I mean, I genuinely believe actually that what they should have done rather than do this whole, you know, null and void a season is just press pause because it could well be that they're not black playing rugby until February, mm. January, February. So just finish this season, next season, if that makes sense, and then do the the summer tours that were going to be happening in July, do them in 2021, yeah. give everybody a bit of a chance to get their heads around everything that's happened and to see the best way forward. Because the worst thing I think that could happen for the sport right now is that hasty, badly thought out decisions are made and that they're made for short-term financial gain rather than thinking, actually, we need to make this sustainable. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I suppose rugby survived two world wars, Alan, but it's, it, you can't catch war from playing a game of rugby. Yeah. wasn't professional uh, then either. No, true. Uh, I don't buy any of this. Let's be sensible. I want chaos. <laughs> <laughs> I want all-out chaos because it's easy to write about. And you know what? Yeah, screw it. I'm just thinking with, with, my, with my hat on. It's easier to sell magazines when there's a Lions tour on and there's Olympics on at the same time. I'd be all for that. I'd be a very big fan of that. But, but then what, Tess and Colby would have to decide which she's playing in. And I can't get my head around that one. You told me Ches and Colby could magically transport. It would make a lot of sense, actually. <laughs> it, well, it would. And it would and make it would. me very happy. But, yeah. Um, yeah, I think the thing is, is that we're going to, as, as mentioned earlier, I think now that the the Dutch have, have taken a step and said that there will be no football in their countries till September, that's a conservative, uh, you know, that's a conservative view. We've got... I think we'll start to see goalposts being shifted and people will say, right, um, we will not have anything till X. 
a lot of people will be crossing fingers and toes that the production of some sort of vaccine is happening by then or that they can manage the waves of the second, the third, the fourth wave of coronavirus better. But it's all pie in the sky. And the answer is, is that no one bloody knows. And if anyone tries to tell you what they do, they're a moron. I think that is that is as good a place as any to leave it. No facts and all opinion is pretty much what this podcast is about. I think did I did I not say that to you? Yes. What was it? Yeah, because I yeah I'm going to trademark that. I'm actually sufficiently bored at the opinions, moment. That I, could. I think opinions and no, re- and, yeah, opinions opinions and no, and no real, real answers. answers. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm going to be out of the strap line for the podcast. I mean, it is. It's all just speculation at the moment. We. It's one of those things humans don't operate very well in unknowns this far out of our comfort zones, but you just kind of have to get on with it now, don't we? Yeah, we'll get we'll get back to nostalgia next week and the, and the warm yes. the warm blanket that it affords us. <laughs> um, I can tell gladiators anecdote that time. Yes, brilliant. <laughs> um, thank you both for joining us this evening. Thank you very much for having me. Um, we'll be back next week. We haven't quite decided what we're doing yet. Someone has pitched the idea of watching back the 1997 uh, Living with the Lions documentary, um, which is on Prime. You can buy it and rent it on Prime, which we may well do. It was pitched to me basically because just to, just to kind of look at how outdated everything in it is um, in terms of... Except for Jim Telfer's speech. Except the Jim, I think probably everything apart from Jim Telfer and Ian McGeek and stuff, I think it's probably okay. I think it's more some of the court things <laughs> yes. that went on. Um, but you can't, you know, you can't, you can't apply today's standards to what happened back in 1997, as we found when we looked back at Gladiators. Um, so anyway, we'll see you all next week and uh, we'll speak to you again, Alan and Nix. Thank you very much. Goodbye.